Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. We're sitting in a lead team meeting. Uh, that's the, the team of people, campus pastors and others who kind of lead and provide vision, direction, prayer for the church. And so sitting in that meeting, and I, was, I got a call from my wife. And she called me and she said, uh, hey, Brent, I'm, I'm at the ER and I, I'm not feeling good. I'm not okay. Something is wrong. And so, of course, I got very nervous. I got, I got scared. I got freaked out. And so I just packed up my stuff as fast as I could, jumped in the car, and sped. I was in Austin. I sped down to Kyle to meet her at the hospital here. Might have broken a few laws along the way, but, but I, I got down here as fast as I could. Our in-laws were in town, and so they had actually, her, her father, my father-in-law, had taken her to the ER because she was experiencing some numbness and tingling on her arms and down her legs and actually uh, kind of on her back and it had moved up over her head and onto her face and she just didn't know what to do with it. And it had been ongoing for a little while but had a massive flare-up and she didn't know what it meant and she was terrified. And so I showed up and she was in the waiting room with her father and what's going on and got the update and she was in tears and we were scared and I was scared. And so uh, we, we, she, we went back and they did a battery of tests on her trying to figure out what was wrong, and that kind of sent us on a journey of tests, of uh, we got an MRI, because when you have symptoms like that, some of you know there's scary things that are possibly there, uh, MS being one of the things that's a little bit frightening, and, and other really serious health concerns, and so we did an MRI, and they said, we don't think it's MS, and we did other tests, and they said, well, we don't really know what it is, and honestly, it could be stress-related, we can't tell, and so we just kept with that diagnosis for a long time, we just, well, they don't know. And so we kept moving forward, doing everything that we could. We pray about it a little bit here and there. And uh, we, we, we actually ended up going to a chiropractor up in Bee Cave. We felt like this was a necessary step that we were supposed to take. Found them through some relationships here. And so she started that journey for about nine months, uh, three times a week, driving up to Bee Cave to try to get some help and relief and some very, uh, some very powerful chiropractic work. And that provided a little bit of relief, and she continued to pray. And, of course, I pray for her about this pretty much every morning. And, and as, as she went on, she felt like the Lord spoke to her and said, fasting is one of the keys that's going to be helpful to you. And you may or may not know, but there's actually some not just spiritual benefits, but some real health benefits to fasting. And so she, she started fasting and, and has seen a little bit of improvement here and there. And now she doesn't have such dramatic flare-ups, but, but still deals with this pretty much every single day. It was always a constant thing in her body. And I've been praying about this for a year, for a year and a half to two years. And so what do you do with that? What do you do with that kind of stuff? I mean, uh, certainly some of you probably have situations like that where you're just in something, dealing with something. You don't know exactly what to do. And you're just thinking, why? Why am I still going through this? I'm not going to be answer, I'm not going to be able to answer all of that today, but I want to talk about it just a little bit today as we finish up our series called How to Pray, a simple guide for normal people. We're going to wrap it up today, and we've been walking through this book called How to Pray, and it's by a guy named Pete Grieg, and he's really incredible pastor and author and leader, and it's really been helpful, and if you've been here, we've kind of fleshed out line by line the Lord's Prayer every week, 
And if you'll listen to those, if you missed it, go back to the podcast. And if you'll listen, I know that it'll be helpful to you to try to flesh out your own prayer time as you take each of these lines of the Lord's Prayer and you pray them on your own every single day. But today we're finishing it with, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, if you're paying attention over these past few weeks, and if you're paying attention with this phrase here, you find the Lord's Prayer comes around full circle. Because we actually end up exactly in the same place where we began. Because we started with worship and adoration with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And now we're ending with this, this doxology. We're ending in worship again, saying, yours is the glory. And so we've prayed that his will will be done. And now we're proclaiming he has the power to do it. We've taken some time to ask for his kingdom to come. And now we're celebrating that it already has now and forevermore. So in other words, in these closing lines, what we're doing is we express faith in God's ability. As you close, you're expressing faith in God's ability to do the things that you've prayed about. So you say, yours is the kingdom. So God, you've got all the authority in heaven and on earth. You say, yours is the power. You're saying, God, you have all the strength to be able to do all the things that I've prayed about. And yours is the glory. In other words, you're saying, and God, your victory is going to be complete. And I often pray it that way, actually. If I pray through the Lord's Prayer in my prayer time in the morning, I'll end with, you've got all the authority. You've got all the strength. And the victory is yours forevermore. Amen. But it's interesting that those final lines, they don't actually show up in the, the most reliable manuscripts of Matthew and Luke. And really only recently in the last few centuries has it kind of made its way back into the big C church's uh, liturgy. But it's unlikely that Jesus in the kind of Jewish, the way that Jews would pray in that day, it's very unlikely that Jesus ended his prayer with, and deliver us from evil. All right, you guys ready to go? He probably didn't end it in that way. There's probably more to it. So the church drew from prayers like the prayers of King David in 1 Chronicles 29, 11, where he says, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Now, I think this is pretty incredible because you've got King David, you've got this ruler, and he's giving up his own kingdom. He's giving up his own power, he's giving up his own glory, and he's surrendering it to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He takes no glory, no power for himself. He's giving back everything that he's been blessed with. Now, in our culture and in our time, how often do we really see stuff like that happening? Because our world is full of people like social media influencers, like like these people right here. Our world is full of people like this. You're, why are you giggling? They're, they're full of people like this. And I, no slight against these people. I think it's awesome. I think that Jesus is doing a thing in Kanye. I kind of like the first album. I really like the Sunday service album. So I think Jesus is doing something there. But our world is full of people that are just looking for fame and acclaim and to be acknowledged and noticed. And it's everywhere. Everybody's looking for their own glory. Young people are growing up just aspiring, oh, I just want to be a YouTube star. That's happening all over our world. You've got politicians all, in our, all over our, our, our country today, that, really all over the world, that are seeking for their own kingdoms, trying to build their own thing. 
We're just wa- watching debates happen right now, and everybody's just fighting for their own position because they, they want to win. I don't, know, I don't know why I said that. I apologize for that. Because <laughs> it's one of the greatest movies of all time, I think, is why. I think that's why I said it. How often do we, how often do we lay our lives down, surrender our little kingdoms that we're building? Because we live in a culture today where surrender is very rare. Like we love to talk about it. It sounds like a good idea. We love to talk about the kingdom of God, in fact. But very few people actually want to surrender anything costly to its king. Let that settle in the room for just a minute. What we want is we want the kingdom without the king. We want to have the kingdom, but we don't always want the king. Everybody in our world wants love. We all want to see love. But many people reject the God that actually is love. Everybody wants peace in the world, but, but don't necessarily buy the fact that Jesus himself is the prince of peace. And so he's rejected. Everybody wants fairness. Everybody wants equality. Everybody wants justice. These are great things, but we fail to realize that these originate in God himself. Our society wants the advantages. We want the characteristics. We want the qualities of the kingdom without having to live for the king in which those qualities reside and emanate. And if we're honest, we all tend to hold a little too tightly to our own kingdoms. We all tend to build a little too much, our own time and schedule, our money, our achievements and successes, our sexual ethics, our dream for for our lives and for our futures. All of those things are, for the most part, they're resolutely ours. It belongs to me. I'm building it. You don't get to say anything about mine, and nobody else gets to say anything about mine. Personal surrender and costly sacrifice, I just think those things are kind of rare in our culture today. And so the reality is the kingdom of God, it just becomes this this cool, ethereal concept that's kind of out there one day, but it's completely unthreatening to our lives today. It's not the sort of concrete reality that makes us want to fall to our knees and give up to the king of kings those things that we hold most dear. So here's what I just want you to hear today. I believe that the kingdom only comes with the king. (laughs) You only get all that stuff if you follow the king. The kingdom of God is what we're after, and it only comes with the king. The issue at hand, what we're really talking about is who's in charge? Who's in charge of our lives? What we're really talking about is lordship. And Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And he says, and this is in the message paraphrase, he says, knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. He's saying, you just calling me Lord, you just saying I'm the master, you saying these kind of things, that's not enough. But he continues, what's required is serious obedience. <laughs> not, just, not just a little bit of obedience, not just a, just a half-hearted obedience, serious obedience, and he clarifies it even further, doing what my father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preach the message We bashed the demons like last week if you were here. Our God-sponsored projects had everybody talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You guys, you missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. In fact, you're out of here. I think the tragedy for us oftentimes today is we talk more about belief than we talk about obedience. 
And we use words when it comes to, to Jesus. We use words like, uh, oh, won't you receive Jesus? Won't you accept him into your life? As if Jesus is sitting off in the cafeteria by himself with his sad little lunch tray, eating in his insecurity, and we just need to accept poor Jesus. He doesn't really need your pity. He's good. He's fine. But, and I, listen, I, 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 I don't want to be too, too hard on that. I, I get it. We're, we're trying to say the right things. We do need to receive and accept him. But what we're really talking about here is following him. Believing isn't enough. Because if it was enough, then the devil himself would be a Christian. James 2.19 says, you believe there's one God. Well, good. Even the demons believe that. And they've got enough sense to shudder. They've got enough sense to realize how big and great and powerful he really is. So, so the message of the New Testament as we read through it, it's not just Jesus as Savior, which shows up around 37 times, depending on your translation. The message of the New Testament is Jesus as Lord, which shows up over 7,000 times. Do you think he's trying to tell us something? The question for us is today, and as we pray, is he Lord? Is he the king? Are we going to trust him when things aren't turning out the way that we thought they should? Are you living in his kingdom, or are you just trying to get him to live in yours? Are you just trying to get him to come down? I'm building my thing here, Jesus, and so I really need you to come in, and I need you to bless it for me. Or are you saying, everything that I've got, I lay at your feet. Let your kingdom come, and your will be done. These are different prayers. So, so lordship Talking about lordship, I, I think it means, it means the end of living life on my own terms. It means I'm not in charge anymore. Nothing originates from me. I don't do anything that I just want to do. I submit everything to what you want to do. And so as we come to these closing lines of the Lord's Prayer, they're not just a nice way to end it. It's not just a good way to wrap it up. No, actually, these lines carry much more of a punch than we thought at first. They pack more of a punch, more than we thought, much like the rest of the Lord's Prayer. Because if we're really going to pray these lines, your kingdom come, if we're really going to say these lines of yours is the power and the glory and the kingdom forever, what we're saying is I'm giving up. As I pray this, I'm giving up my own kingdom. I'm giving up my own power. I'm giving up my own glory. And I'm surrendering, God, everything back to you. I take my little empires of my career, my little empires of my family, my little empires of my ministry, my little empires of my friends, and I'm saying, Lord, yours is the kingdom. We're taking our power bases and structures and all the stuff that we've built up to kind of support ourselves and be strong and make the world work for us, and we're saying, God, yours is the power, not my own. I rely on you. We're taking our successes, and we're taking our trophies, and we're taking our, our reputations, we're taking our credibility and we're saying, yours is the glory right now and forever and ever and ever. I rely on you for everything and I trust in you. But still, like that all sounds really good. But what I find is, is that for most of us, this is still a struggle. It's still a struggle for us to pray this and it's more of a struggle for us to actually do this. Why is that? I think it's because at the end of the day, we're not convinced that he's actually a good king. We're not convinced that he's actually going to do the best. We're, we're not convinced that his kingdom is good. Or oftentimes, we just don't want somebody else to be in control of it. 
Because that's hard for many of us. Any control freaks in the room? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> uh, we want to be in control. and We, don't, we maybe don't believe that he's going to take the best care of us. Or, or honestly, many times, like honestly, I felt many times over the past year and a half, is he even listening to this? Is he even listening? Does he even care about what we're going through? Pete Grieg, the author of this book, How to Pray, his wife actually has some long-term health issues, and they're pretty significant. They're serious, and he talks about it in the book in the same way and talks about praying many prayers for much longer than I have for his wife, and, and she's still kind of struggling through it. And one day, he felt like God spoke to him, and this is what he said, and Pete writes about it in the book. He says, Pete, you need to understand that I never forget a single prayer you pray. You forget most of the things you ask me, but I never do. And I think that's true. You read a verse like Luke 12, 7 that says, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. The God who numbers the hair on your head also listens to and remembers all the prayers that you pray. If he's counting hairs on your head and he knows what they are, I guarantee you that he remembers all the prayers that you're praying. And if God remembers them all, he continues to work on them long after we've forgotten. That's what he was telling Pete. So that means that there must be, there has to be, there's got to be situations. There's got to be apparent coincidences in our lives most days that are actually just direct answers to prayers that we've prayed previously and we've forgotten or to prayers that other people have prayed for us and we weren't even aware of. I think it's very possible that our entire lives may be significantly shaped by the accumulation of those kinds of prayers. Certainly, most of us have heard the story of the cute little old grandma bowing down at her bedside, praying for her wayward grandson and him being rescued. I think that's happening all the time around us. There's an American mathematician, his name is Edward Lorenz, and he presented this theory, you've probably heard of it, it's called the butterfly effect. And the butterfly effect kind of says that, that there are, that it's, it's proposal, that there are minor atmospheric disturbances, like a butterfly kind of flapping his wings, that potentially, what if that could affect entire weather patterns? So the butterfly flaps his wings over here, and the butterfly effect is, is that that atmospheric disturbance turns into a hurricane on the other side of the world. Now, I don't know much about any of that. But I do believe that all of us should expect a butterfly effect from the prayers that we pray. From just little concerns whispered to him, having dramatic effects at some other time, and we didn't even realize it. So, so what chain of events might get set off today by a little prayer that you whisper to him? What things are happening in your life right now that you don't even realize are happening because of a prayer that you've prayed years ago or a prayer that somebody prayed for you? What events are happening in your life now because of prayers other people have prayed? Mark Batterson is an author and pastor in, in D.C. and he says, prayers are prophecies. They're the best predictors of your spiritual future. Who you become is determined by how you pray. Ultimately, the transcript of your prayers becomes the script of your life. I think that's true. So the question for us to ask ourselves today is, how are we praying? How are we praying? What kind of life are we partnering with God to shape 
in his good world. And so I think that many of our unanswered prayers, they're not dead, they're just dormant. They're waiting for the right time, the perfect conditions to bear fruit in this life. Or yes, sometimes even to bear fruit in the next, which we don't like very much. We don't like the idea because we want it now. <laughs> and if it's not now, then God is unfaithful. No, actually, he sees a better picture than you do. And so we don't know the reasoning. See, all of us, we pray in days, we pray in weeks, we pray in months and years. I, most of us pray in seconds. God, please do this. Where the heck is it? Like we, we pray like that. But God is working for generations to come. And he sees a much bigger picture than the one that we see. I always think about it like this. Have you ever been to a, like a, a local parade and you're sitting there and my wife grew up in East Aurora, New York, and so it's a quaint little New York village. They've got little parades that go through and we'll go from time to time. And you're sitting there in one spot watching the parade go by. You don't know what's the, the whole scope of the parade. You don't know what's coming. But as you're sitting there, something comes by and it's the worst thing possible. It's the clowns. It's like this. It's like this guy here. This guy drives by. Suddenly, kids are screaming. They're hiding their faces. Moms are crying. Dads are turning their backs. Why? Because clowns are terrifying, y'all. So I can tell that it's mixed reactions in the room. You're incorrect. They're scary. And so the clown shows up, and you're like, oh, this is the worst thing. This is terrible. I can't believe this is happening right now. I'm so afraid. I'm nervous. Come here, children. Let me guard, shield, and protect you. Silly example, I know. But all we see right then is that clown car. We see that one thing, and we think it's inappropriate. It's scary. It's wrong. I wish it would go away. And you think, this is it. This is all there's ever going to be. I'm going to sit here in front of this clown car for eternity. God says, chill out. There's a whole parade. He sees a shot that looks much more like this. He's like, bro, Mickey Mouse is on the way. <laughs> bro, there's a marching band with a bunch of kids who barely know how to play instruments. You're going to laugh. It's going to be amazing. You're going to love this when it comes. Do you see what I'm trying to get at here? He sees a much bigger picture. You can trust him. You can trust him because the one thing that you see today is not the only thing. What I'm trying to get to you today is this. Hey, just wait. Just wait. Just wait because the king is coming. His kingdom is good. He's got all the best planned for you. Just wait. If you'll just wait, the king is coming and he's good and his kingdom is wonderful and it has everything that you need. And so as you pray through this, once you've recognized the kingdom, once you've recognized his power and his glory and you've committed, I'm going to do my best to give it over to you and to serve you and relinquish all of my kingdom power and glory to you, we finally come to the end of the Lord's Prayer and we say, Amen. We say, Amen. When we say, Amen, at the end of the prayer, we're speaking an ancient Hebrew word from the Old Testament. And it was used in synagogues, and later it was adopted by the church. And, and this might be important for some. Amen is not just a polite way to sign off prayer. <laughs> it's not just a way that you're supposed to pray because your Sunday school teacher said so. Amen is an emphatic way of voicing your agreement. Not just a way of, of, of voicing your agreement either. It's an emphatic way of voicing your agreement. And it literally means, yes, I agree, so be it. 
We could stand to have a little bit more of that in our prayer time, I think. Yes, I agree, so be it. And agreement is powerful because Jesus said in Matthew 18, again, truly I tell you that if just two of you on the earth agree about anything they ask for, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. This is one of the reasons why we gather as the gathered church on a Sunday morning. And when we say amen at the end of the Lord's Prayer, what we're saying is yes to God's fatherhood. We're saying yes to inclusion in his family. And we're agreeing with God's people all around the world for centuries that have prayed that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done above all else. And all of this is just to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 1.20 in the message, whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus in him. This is what we preach and pray, the great amen. God's yes, which is a good yes, everybody. God's yes and our yes together, gloriously evident. So amen says, so be it. All those prayers that I prayed just now, they matter. They matter. They're not wasted. All the prayers that I've prayed up till now, they matter. They're not wasted. Why do I say that? Well, there's an interesting picture in Revelation where John sees 24 elders holding these golden bowls of incense. Here it is, Revelation 5.8. The four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Isn't that an interesting idea. So what's going to happen is one day, once those are full, those bowls are going to be poured out at the end of the age into this great universal amen, which means that every prayer you've ever prayed, all your frustrations, all your tears, all your dashed hopes, all of your longings, they're not wasted by God. In fact, they're stored up. They're stored up in heaven in these golden bowls and they're remembered by him and they're cherished by him and they're awaiting for their fulfillment. And some of them are gonna be fulfilled now, right here, tomorrow, right here on the earth. And some of them soon and others of them on that final day. But they are heard and they are held and they are awaiting the ultimate answer which is going to come. So for Maria and I, we hold on to that. I'm praying that her healing will come tomorrow. I'd prefer it today. But I know that one day it is coming. In full, just like it's coming to you. So every single time we say amen, we pull the kingdom a little closer. Every time you come to the end of a prayer time and you say, yes, so be it, you pull the kingdom a little closer to you. And you discover that all of our prayers, all of our prayers that we're praying now, it's kind of like a boot camp for what's to come. All the prayers that we're praying now, just a boot camp for the adventures on the way. So what's happening is through prayer, we are being trained. We're being trained to exercise authority with Jesus in his new world by learning how to partner with Jesus in prayer right here now in our world. Does that make sense? I'm going to say it again. Through prayer, we're being trained to exercise authority with Jesus in a new world by learning how to partner with Jesus in prayer right here in this world. You know what I think about when I read this? I, I think, essentially, we're Daniel LaRusso. Some of you over 30 know who I'm talking about. Others of you under 30 may not know. You may, you may be thinking, uh, does he mean Jane Smith? No, I don't mean Jane Smith. He's a false karate kid. Because that's my karate kid right there. 
Uh-huh. Daniel Russo fighting off the Cobra Kai. Daniel Russo training, learning how. Learning how through muscle memory, wax on, wax off. Muscle memory, learning how to, how to sand the floor. Sand the floor. Daniel learning how to paint the fence. Up. Oh, sorry. Up. Down. Up. Down. <laughs> you guys that are younger, millennials and Gen Z is like, what is happening right now? Did the pastor have a stroke? What happened? Is he okay? But the same thing is happening. We're learning. We're exercising. We're getting muscle memory. We're learning how to reign with Jesus because as we pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You see it? And then it just becomes a part of who we are. And on that day, on that final day, all other forms of prayer are going to be redundant. You're not going to need any of them anymore. We don't need to petition God like we do now because Isaiah 65, 24 says, before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I'm going to hear them. We won't need to intercede anymore because Amos 5, 24 prophesies, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. We won't wrestle with frustrations of unanswered prayer anymore because Revelation 24, 21, 4 says, He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the old order of things passed away. Spiritual warfare won't be necessary either because Revelation 12, 10, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night. He has been hurled down. And the kingdom, power, and glory of God are going to come in full. Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And we'll just look around at amazement at this incredible thing that God has done and say along with C.S. Lewis, the term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. And this is the morning. In other words, hey man, the semester has ended. This world is done. The true vacation and freedom has arrived. And the dream that was this brief life like a vapor, that's ended. And this now, the sun has risen. And this is the new and glorious morning that we're going to live with him in for all eternity. Why don't you guys come on back up? We'll close. When we started the series, I started with a few things that I just want you to remember that I hope will be a blessing and helpful to you. As you now take all of these ideas and you go into prayer on your own and you pray the Lord's Prayer and you pray through it as we've talked about it, I hope you've seen along with me that there's such depth, there's so much to pray as you work through it. But if you don't remember other things, I want you to remember just a few things. Number one, I want you to remember the best advice I think I've ever received on prayer. It's in Pete's book and it is this, just keep it simple and keep it real and keep it up. Keep it simple. You don't have to have all the right phrases. Keep it real. Just be honest about what you're feeling, even if that's bad and doubtful. <laughs> and then don't stop doing it. I've covered a lot of ground, but before we finish, I just want to end with the simplicity of how we begin, and that is that God is a good and loving Father, and He wants deep, intimate relationship with you. 
And that's why prayer is so important. He wants deep, significant, meaningful friendship with you. And he doesn't expect you to get all this right all the time. He understands that some kinds of prayers and even some of these lines are going to come more naturally to you than others. You don't have to worry too much about the exact words or techniques or tools or any of that stuff that we've talked about. I think you should just take the advice of Charles Spurgeon who said, just pray until you can really pray. Just keep praying. Pray until you can really pray because it's really only in the repetition, deciding I'm regularly going to set time aside to spend with God that you learn and grow in prayer. Yeah, but Brent, I feel like such a doofus. Like I'm, I'm praying and I'm distracted and I can't, I can't think and I, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to say it and who cares? He doesn't care about any of that stuff. So you just remember what we talked about. Just remember the acronym PRAY. Just remember. Oh. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. See you next time.